Welcome to This Is Influence. It's a show about how B2B brands and execs can become more influential. This week, I talked to Shoshana Davis. She is an influencer, content creator, and the founder of Fairy Job Mother, a platform to empower young professionals with the skills and mindset to stand out, get hired, and progress in their careers. She also ran employee thought leadership at Intel for over five years before starting her own business. If you haven't seen her content online, then go and check her out. She's prolific, creative, and just gets it when it comes to what content works on the different social channels and how to grow your influence and get noticed. I've got massive, massive content envy. One of her posts recently got 100,000 views on LinkedIn, just absolutely incredible. If you're interested in anything to do with how to create standout content for LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok, how to grow your personal brand, and an approach to make your LinkedIn content go as far as possible, then you're absolutely gonna love this conversation. So this is old, this is new, this is influence. Shoshana Davis, welcome to This Is Influence. Thank you, Nathan. I'm very excited to be here and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Super excited to have you. So first question, Shoshana, what does influence mean to you? That is a really good question. And I was trying to think of a good answer before I came on, but I think ultimately for me, influence means making a lasting impact on somebody. In my situation, I'm hoping it will be positive, but obviously it can also be negative. (laughs) (laughs) And just following on from that then, so what is it you want to be known for? What is it? I know that's a question that you ask people that you consult with and talk to because we've been stalking you on social media for the last few weeks. What do you want to be known for? Wow. Um, it's a lot harder when the question's turned around on you, isn't it? I mean, I think as a person, um, I want to be known for somebody that's like a good person, somebody that's like empathetic and understanding and can connect with people. Um, but I think ultimately I also would want to be known as somebody that challenges people to think differently um, about what they do, whether that be in their career, whether that be in their personal brand. Um, yeah, I like to think I bring a different perspective and hopefully challenge people to think a little bit differently. We're going to get into all of that because we're going to discuss your own content. I am a huge fan of the content that you put out and the thought leadership and the engagement that your content gets, which I think is super fascinating. I think a lot of people can learn from your example. So we're going to talk about employee thought leadership, your own content creation and how you think about doing that. But tell us what employee thought leadership means for Intel. Why were you encouraging these employees to grow their brands and their personal profiles? What business benefit did it add to Intel? Mm -hmm. Well, so that's a good question. So I think at least for the program that I was working on, first and foremost, it was very much about the employees. So it was an employee development opportunity. So it was very much how can we help our employees build digital skills so that whatever they go out there and choose to do, um, whether that be really build their industry brand in their current role or even, you know, leave the company, they are at least equipped 
Um, so first and foremost, I would say um, it was employee focused. However, when you have happy, engaged, you know, vocal employees, then that does bring a benefit back to the employer as well. Right. So obviously some of the benefits that that brings back to an employer um, are, you know, if there's more eyes on an individual or an employee that works for your company, then ultimately that's more eyes back on your brand. Right. So I definitely do think it brings a lot of visibility. And then I also think it's very beneficial for things like talent attraction and talent retention. If different people in the industry are seeing actively online that employees that work at this company are really vocal about what they're doing, they're happy, they're kind of free to post whatever they want because this wasn't an employee you know, an employee advocacy program. We weren't scripting people. We weren't saying you need to share this. It was all about how can we actually teach them to do it themselves. So that's obviously really good for talent acquisition. And then also for retention, because when employees are equipped with skills and they're happy and they're not controlled, they're, you know, they're more willing to stay with the company. So that's super interesting. So how did you approach working with the more senior execs within Intel how did your advice differ depending on sort of whether you're working with the the larger cohort of 190 odd versus the five more senior ones? Because I imagine there's much more demands on their time. They might have a perception of what growing their influence on social media means. Tell us that story. Yeah. Um, so definitely my experience working with the execs, it was very different to kind of the 150, 200 other employees because I was working one-on-one with them. So the approach was definitely a lot more targeted and I was really able to, you know, get in there, get in really deep and actually figure out, okay, you know, what are you actually looking to achieve from this? Um, what do you know? What do you want to be known for? You know, who do you want to be known by? Who are you trying to influence? Um, really kind of getting into understanding their motivations, what their expectations were. Um, I would say about majority of the execs I worked with, um, they were quite clueless actually when it came to things like LinkedIn, social media, etc. So it was actually about skill building for them, helping them with their confidence, um, setting goals, which seemed, um, you know, not, which seemed not too challenging for them and that they could easily integrate into their, um, into their existing routines and busy calendars, for example. I mean, everybody was at like different stages, but for example, um, there were one or two execs I worked with and, they had a LinkedIn profile, but they'd never even posted before. And it wasn't necessarily something that they felt like doing straight away. So it was like, okay, I'm going to set you some simple goals. If you don't, you know, if you feel like you can't post at the moment, that's absolutely fine. Um, however, I want you to spend one hour a week, you know, spending 30 minutes commenting on other people's posts. Cause number one, through doing that, you're going to be able to see, get some inspiration. This is the type of thing other people like me in the industry are posting, but then you're also just going to be practicing that skill so that hopefully in a few months time, you've built a bit of that confidence so that you can then move on to posting. So really kind of setting small, easily achievable goals. Um, cause the second it gets too overwhelming, I mean, these people are already busy, right? Um, the second it gets too overwhelming, um, you kind of lose them. So really tailoring that journey to everyone for sure. And how did you identify the five? Did they volunteer? Did you need to need to convince them? Was there a business case made for this? Because I, I know that, you know, sometimes within large organizations, especially with, with senior people, 
there can be some skepticism towards uh, building their own social profiles, especially because of the time commitment that, that it sometimes involves. How did you identify the five? Why did you choose those five in particular? Um, maybe something around that. Yeah. So good question. So for the actual wider program where there was like a couple hundred employees, that was completely voluntary. So that was open to anybody that wanted to kind of experience this. And those are people that are chosen to do it. Um, the execs, I actually didn't choose them myself. They were people that were recommended, um, to kind of join the program due to their job title, due to their business focus, due to the specific objectives, um, for their group for that year. Um, so these, I mean, if, if they didn't want to do it, I wasn't going to force them, but luckily everybody was engaged. Some of them needed a bit of convincing in terms of the value, but I think ultimately they all knew like, this is something, you know, you need to be active online. You need to do things, you know, if you want to make an impact in 2022 or 2023. So they were aware of that. Um, but they were, they were recommended. I didn't specifically choose them myself. And, and then tell us about the results for this, both with the larger cohort of 200 people and with the handful of execs that you work with as well. What were you expecting the results to be in the beginning? What were they expecting the results to be and, and what did it actually generate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. So obviously I can't share like specific results. Um, so I'll just b- be general. Um, so I think for the wider group in terms of what the results would be. Um, that was, it it was a new program, right? That was all part of the experimentation. Um, so in terms of the results that we got from the wider group, they were very interesting. So they were things like in terms of what we measured. So we were measure measuring, um, quantity of like new industry connections. We were measuring post volume. We were measuring engagement. We were measuring, um, at the beginning, we were kind of just measuring things like that because obviously it was a large group of people. So when you're like looking at things like that, I would say there was like 100, 150 people. When we were measuring that on like a coursey basis, we were getting like the, you know, in the thousands of new industry connections, right? And then um, we did various things to try and dive deep into that. So it was like, okay, because obviously thousands, that's a big number, but which of these actually turned into something? And that was more of a one-on-one thing. So those were the things that we t- we measured for the kind of overall um, bigger cohort group. In, th- in terms of things that we measured um, for the execs, that was slightly different just because again, their, their confidence levels were interesting. Um, but again, we were measuring things like... Um, Obviously, because I was working one-on-one with them, we were still measuring things like a new industry connections, engagements, et cetera. But because it was a smaller group, I was able to actually really dive into those new connections. So it was like, okay, um, this quarter, you know, this person, they made 50 new connections. Um, how many of those were in their target group of people or how many of those aligned to their target job title or how many of those kind of proactively actually reached out to the exec rather than them going and connecting with them. And there were other things that we did um, as part of the program in tandem. Um, So as part of the program, there was like a whole variety of resources. One of the things um, that I was heavily involved with was we had um, an employee-led podcast, basically. Um, where it was like featuring anyone could basically go on and talk about something and the execs also featured on that. So that was another really important thing because it was like, um, people would listen to the podcast and then they would go and reach out on, um, LinkedIn. So it was like, okay, how many of these people are actually coming from these other industry things we're doing as well? 
that's really fascinating, Shoshana. So, so tell us then for other organizations that are looking to start some kind of employee advocacy program or employee branding program, what advice, if they've never done this before, what advice would you give them on starting and measuring success? I think for starting before you actually go about like implementing anything or planning anything, you really need to understand who you're dealing with. Um, I think for me, like I've said it a couple of times, like I was surprised by, um, especially with the execs I work with, I was surprised by their, you know, lack of knowledge, but with the wider group I was working with, there was just such a variety. So it's like, you need to understand who you're dealing with because you may be shocked. For me, I would have thought most people know how to write a LinkedIn post or know how to do these things, but they, they didn't really. So it's like, do some, do some research, survey your organization, you know, find out their pain points, find out what they'd actually be interested in, find out if something like this would even be of value to them. That would be a really good starting point. So do research. Don't just go into it and do what you think would be useful or based on you because, you know, everybody's different. And in terms of um, success metrics, um, that's a good question. So I think initially, potentially like some of the similar metrics I mentioned before, because um, I think one thing also that a lot of people tend to um be a bit naive to is they think they're just going to start posting and like after the first month you're going to be like overwhelmed with business it's very much a consistency game like some people have been posting for like two years before their first post goes viral so it's like be mindful of that right what are the most simple things that we can measure from the get-go okay how many could we measure a kpi of how many new industry connections have been made in our target organizations or in our target industries. That's a really simple thing. Maybe it doesn't necessarily equate to business right now, but yes, that could equate to business. So I think just starting small and not overcomplicating it is key. Um, but again, like, I, I mean, I think it's with most marketing, like it is a lot of the time it is hard to tie it to direct revenue, especially in B2B, because you're not like, you're not boots or you're not pretty little thing selling like a dress and somebody buys it and they've clicked on that ad. It's not that simple. Um, so yeah, I think starting small for sure. What advice would you have for brands that want to help their employees do this? What can brands do more to, I think part of what I hear you say is education, actually educating the stakeholders and the employees on actually how to do this well. Yeah, I think education and empowerment for sure. Um, so one a big piece of the program um, that we had was we had a lot of learning resources. So we created like a bunch of resources that people could just use at, you know, as they wished on every different topic you can think of from how to create a LinkedIn profile to how to write a blog. Um, we would then host weekly sessions where we would go into some of these topics in more detail. We'd then have like speakers internally and externally come in to, you know, inspire people. So we had lots of different education. We weren't just like, oh, here's, um, here's a document, read it and then start posting. So I think education is key. I also think, you know, letting people be themselves, not controlling what people say. To me, there is nothing more cringe than like those posts that employers just say, they send this out and they're like, you all need to, to do this because it's so obvious. You know, I'm a connection with like five people at the same company, if I see you're all doing the same copy and pasted post, which is what people do, right? Because when you make it easy for them, they will not bother editing it at all. And it just comes across as really fake, right? So how can you actually educate and empower your teams 
to um, write their own things, add their perspective, because it's gonna it's gonna come across come across a lot more genuine. So education, empowerment, trusting them as well, um, which I know a lot of organisations struggle with. You don't have, and not everything an employee posts about has to be about your organisation. Like employees are individuals; they're their own people. They aren't in, they're not owned by their employer. So but at least for me, that was one of the things that I was very incessant about. I was like, look, when you join the program, I was like this is for you. Like you don't even have to post about Intel if you don't want to, but I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through the steps. We're going to map out our pillars together. You're going to really write down what you want to achieve, what you want to be known for. And not just you at Intel, you as a person, of course, Intel plays a part in that. And it just, it comes across a lot more genuine basically is what I'm saying. It's not the corporate fake rubbish that you, you do unfortunately see. It's not trusted. It's not believable. It's bland. People scroll past it. It, it just doesn't resonate on social and you can spot it a mile away. So that brings me on to your content then. One of your posts had 100,000 views on, on LinkedIn. It went viral on LinkedIn, which I think is absolutely incredible. Tell us about your approach to your own content creation, especially on LinkedIn and how that differs to other platforms, Instagram, TikTok, etc. So just for some background, I'm in terms of social channels that I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn for me personally, then I've got a LinkedIn business account, then I'm on Instagram personally and for my business, and then I'm on TikTok, LinkedIn, TikTok personally for my business. So obviously it's a lot of social channels and don't, yeah. So in terms of um, my approach to content creation on LinkedIn specifically, um, obviously for my personal profile, um, so I would say my approach is quite, um, organized, I would say, otherwise I'm not, I'm just not able to deal with the amount of channels that I'm posting on. Um, so before I started, you know, at the beginning of the year and I had a, kind of a different strategy last year, but at the beginning of the year, I kind of sat down and again, I asked myself, okay, what do you want to be known for? Who are you trying to reach? Um, and then I kind of map out, um, and you probably heard this before, but kind of three to four pillars in terms of like what I'm looking to focus on. So based on me, where I'm at now, I've just left my full-time job. Like I'm a business owner. So obviously one of my pillars is about being a business owner. Um, I'm one strong focus for me is career advice. Cause that's what my business is related to. So that will be one of my pillars. And then I have one or two others. So I mapped out my pillars, um, and then really mapping out some kind of sub topics for each pillar that I can consistently refer back to, so that regardless of what I'm doing, whether I'm asked to join a podcast, whether I'm asked to join a webinar, you know, I know I have, you know, I'm going to focus on this pillar and I'm going to talk about these topics. So it's very kind of targeted. And that's definitely my approach um, to LinkedIn in terms of like when I'm actually creating posts, I do try and just make them as human and relatable as possible. Cause I think that's what people like. Um, people love to, you know, know that they are not the only person that experiences this. People love to feel heard and related to and not alone. So that's definitely key. And I think for me, one other thing I try to focus on on LinkedIn is creating shareable content. Cause obviously, cause now, especially as now they've just um, in recently introduced the repost feature or so I think that's a key for me because obviously if somebody is reposting your post, then it's going to be seen by all of their network as well. So definitely creating shareable content. And um, I think in terms of just approach to content creation in general, 
these platforms are changing all the time. Like Instagram, Twitter, they're all introducing these new features all the time. And it's really important to be aware of that. And like what was working two months ago on LinkedIn and Instagram isn't working now, right? On Instagram, two months ago, they were pushing reels. But however, now they're actually focusing on not pushing reels because it's back to a photo sharing app. And they've said that there's actually no prioritization over video and then photos. So it's like, you need to be very aware of that. Testing out different features, testing out new features. Because a lot of the time, if a platform has rolled something new out, you know, they're going to be pushing that feature because they want more people to use it. So if you're one of the lucky people, or one of the clever people that actually jumps on that feature and starts using it, your posts can get a lot more visibility. So for example, for me, and it sounds very cringe and it, it cringed me out when other people were doing it. But then I was like, do you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to do it myself. Is adding a photo of yourself to all the posts. It does so well. Every single post, every single post with a photo interview, like performs really well at the moment on LinkedIn in comparison to just general text posts. At least that's what I'm seeing. So I'm making sure that not only my post is relatable, but that there's a photo of me so everybody can see who I am. And then if possible, can I relate that photo to actually what I've written about in my post? Um, so I think in summary, um, you know, knowing my kind of pillars and focus areas, um, and then also making sure that I'm, um, relatable as well and testing out new features. That idea of taking photos of yourself and posting it on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm with you. I was very much cringe, um, when I was doing that or thinking about doing that, but I think it's so important because people like to see faces of other people smiling, doing interesting, different things. I think it's really very important. Uh, it's a human platform at the end of the day. And I think it's important to show the face of, of, of the brand. Um, so I love the idea of having pillars, um, a content framework that you can relate back to. And because I think people sometimes get stuck for what to say and what to post the challenge with brands though, is that they always want you to talk about their products and services. So how do you advise executives that, that want to build their social profile on, on LinkedIn, but don't want to always talk about the products and services? What pillars can, do, can they think about creating that isn't just about what they sell? Mm -hmm. So I think it definitely comes back to the question of what do you, you know, what do you want to be known for? Um, it comes down to that essentially. So what do you want to be known for? Whatever your answer is to that, usually you can pull out two or three, I would say no more than four topic areas from that. Um, and ideally if I, I always used to say to the execs, you know, we'll go with four. Um, ideally, you know, I want two of those to be, you know, non-work related to that. You're really actually able to build meaningful connections and it doesn't come across fake and you could actually Talk about things you enjoy, right? Um, I would say even, or even three of those, they can be more personal focus. And then maybe the fourth pillar can be a little bit more work related, but you know, a pillar wouldn't be like your company's product or service. Like a pillar would be technology or AI. And there's so many different topics that you can talk about within that topic, which then you can kind of interweave your company. But at the end of the day, I don't think, at least when you're mapping out pillars, when you're mapping out content strategy, I personally don't think um, your a company's products or services should even come into it, right? Um, because ultimately, at the end of the day, if you are sharing valuable content 
and people like your content, they are at, at some point, they're going to want to get to know you. They're going to reach out to you. They're going to want to learn more about what we're doing. And then maybe at that point, that is when the company's products or services come into it. But do you see what I mean? I just don't think, yeah, I think a lot of the time companies are going about it in the wrong way. They're doing it backwards. Um, build, build connections with people, build, you know, build connections with people. And once you've reeled them in, you know, they will want to, they'll want to learn more, but first you need to focus on grabbing their attention, I would say. Absolutely love that. And, and absolutely love your advice that you've given to everyone on the, on the, um, on the podcast. I think there's so much to take away from your experience. Shoshana, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is Influence as a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B influencer agency for technology brands. I could not produce this show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to This is Influence. Influence.